Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. difficulties. Um, These are working for your good, even though sometimes it does not feel like that. Um, If we can learn patience and let it do the work in us that it needs to, we'll be whole. And we will obtain the crown of life. It's a promise that he gives us. Um, God has many gifts for us, and they're all good and perfect. His spirit, his word, his direction, um, everything that comes from him is good and is helpful to us. When we're, we, we are lacking nothing when we stay in close fellowship with him. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will have everything we need, no matter what comes. He'll be there to help us through. We learned that we're born of the word and we need to be careful with our words. Very important. That let everything be spoken in love and kindness and caring. We must control what and how we say things, or we'll miss the mark as his children. He calls us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We've got to hear that word and then compare ourselves to it. And then take action to improve us. We need to line up with his character. Being a Christian means to be Christ-like, and so we need to strive for that. Um, Chapter 2, God is not a respecter of persons. This chapter is about judgment. We've got to admit our prejudices and get rid of them. Otherwise, we're in sin. God's judgment is not like our judgment. God is no respecter of persons, and we've got to adopt his way. Not ours. Peter learned this by being directed to preach to the Gentiles. You know, back in the day, they were not supposed to be around Gentiles. They were unclean and it would not be okay to be even talking to them. So he went to preach. The Gentiles were baptized in Jesus' name and received the Holy Ghost. So he learned that God is for all people, not just certain ones. We also learned that we will be shown no mercy if we are merciless to our fellow men and women. Faith without works is dead. If we're in Christ and acting as his disciples, we must reach out to people in need and who are hurting, loving them and helping them. This is what's close to Jesus' heart, our people who hurt, and he wants to use us to help. There are examples of Abraham and Rahab who were blessed because of their good works. And if we do good works, we'll be blessed also. 
James chapter 3 talks about speech. People who teach will be held to a higher standard, be accountable for the truth that they're teaching. We have to be right when we're teaching. We have to say all the things that are true and not bring our own stuff into that. The tongue is very powerful, and if it's not harnessed, it can do terrible damage wherever it's loosed. We learned about that. Only God can tame the tongue, and when he fills us with the Holy Ghost and we're submitted, he can help us to speak right. He can help us in every situation, whatever is happening. We can be still be right in him. We can destroy people with our words, when, and when we meet Jesus, we will have to give an account of every idle, empty, and careless word that we have said. It makes me think about how I'm going to talk to people. Imagine standing in front of Jesus. Well, I said this because, and what excuse could be good enough, right? So let's make the right choice. We'll have peace if we ask for godly wisdom and yield ourselves to him, letting him have his way in and through us. So tonight, we're going to tackle James 4 and 5. Next slide, please. What is the key to growing into maturity? This is what we're trying to do is become mature Christians, get better and better every day. Humility. At every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. That's not what the world thinks, but that's what Jesus thinks. Yes. If we can learn to put God and others first, we'll have a good foundation for humility. And tonight we're going to continue on learning about that. Chapter 4, um, verses 1 and 2 say, What leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your hedonistic desires that wage war in your bodily members, fighting for control over you? You are jealous and covet what others have, and your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. The meaning of hedonistic is engaged in pursuit of pleasure, sensually self-indulgent with no thought for others in any way, and that in itself is against what God has for us. When we try to reach our goals on our own strength, we often find ourselves at odds with others. We compete for prominence, success, all at the expense of our relationships. This is the result of pride in our lives. And it's why we don't ask God to help us a lot of times. We want to achieve it all by ourselves. Look at me. See what I did? I'm all that. That does not please God. We also realize if we ask him to give us what we want, he might say no, because it's not what's for, good for us. So we don't ask. You know, I want what I want, so I'm just not going to talk to him about that because, you know, he might deny it to me. Remember, what we acquire outside of his will eventually turns to ashes. 
The apostolic um, commentary says, whereas James 4 and 2 explains that some do not have because they do not ask, this verse clarifies that although these individuals may indeed ask, their prayers may not be genuine because they have wrong motives. Faith validates genu genuine prayer. James 1 and 6 says, but he must ask for wisdom and faith without doubting God's willingness to help. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. Some pray, but they do not receive because they ask amiss or with evil intent. Their prayers are evil because they intend to squander on their own pleasures the things for which they ask. Anytime we seek to further our personal pleasures outside of his will through prayer, we are asking amiss. Next slide, please. Quarrels among the believers. Quarrels, wars, and fighting among believers are always harmful. James tells us that these quarrels result from evil desires within us. We want more possessions, more money, higher status, more recognition. When we don't get what we want, we fight in order to have it. Instead of aggressively grabbing what we want, we should ask God to help us get rid of our selfish desires and trust him to give us what we really need. I read an article, it was about, called The Silly Things That People in the Church Fight Over. And uh, there's a couple I wanted to talk about just, just in passing. One um, church, they decided to change the strength of the coffee, make it a stronger, more, more caffeine, and people left the church because of that. Another one, they were trying to decide about buying a weed eater, and it took two business meetings to make a decision to come to terms with it. Um, one, they didn't allow black t-shirts because black is the, the color of the devil. How crazy is that? And no deviled eggs at the potluck supper. <laughs> wow, there's no spiritual focus there, is there? Pretty crazy. It grieves God's heart when we're engaged in pushing for things that are not his will for us. In this behavior, we're self-focused and have no care for his or anyone else's feelings, just on self-gratification. There's a name for this. It's called spiritual adultery. Next slide. <clears throat> oh, one more. One more. What is spiritual adultery? Spiritual adultery is unfaithfulness to God. It is having an undue fondness for the things of the world. Spiritual adultery is analogous to the unfaithfulness of one's spouse. But like a woman faithless to her lover, even so, have you been faithless to me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. Boy, we don't ever want him to say that to us, do we? Mm. James 4 and 4 says, You adulteresses, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God. He's a jealous God, and he does not want to share us with anything. He can't bear the thought of us cleaving to the lusts of the world. 
He is looking for his bride, spotless and waiting for his appearing, being busy about the work of the kingdom until he comes. Next slide. <clears throat> the Bible tells us that people who choose to be friends with the world are an adulterous people, having enmity against God. The world here is the system of evil under Satan's control. The world system, with its contrived and deceitful scheme of phony values, worthless pursuits, and unnatural affections, is designed to lure us away from a pure relationship of God with God. And isn't that what's happening today? Everything you look at, everywhere, people are not being encouraged to have a relationship with God. It's just, it's wild and crazy. Next slide, please. Spiritual adultery, then, is the forsaking of God's love and embracing of the world's values and desires. Romans 8, 7, and 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. To 2 Timothy 4 and 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So there's Paul and his group. They're evangelizing, they're preaching Jesus and having a, um, having a revival. And Demas backslides in the middle of all of that. He decides, no, I don't want God anymore. He just leaves. Breaks my heart to think about that. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's nothing wrong with wanting a pleasurable life. Um, God gives us good gifts, and he wants us to enjoy ourselves and be happy. But friendship with the world is seeking pleasures at other expense, others' expense and at the expense of obeying God. Pleasures that keep us from pleasing God are sinful. Pleasures of his, in his rich bounty are good. Amen. The ways of God and those of the world are completely incompatible. Why? We see in John 3 and 19, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If we live our lives trying to please other people or ourselves, we will be at odds with the Lord. If we live for him, shining his light, the world will be hostile toward us because our presence convicts them of the sins that they want to continue committing. Has anybody ever noticed just attitudes that felt like people were against you or there was just not a comfortableness? You know, people can feel it. That Holy Ghost in us can really do a number on people that are around us. Next slide, please. 
Thank you. How do we define ourselves? When we define ourselves by the pride we have in our country, in our symbols, in our institutions, in our race, in our rights, in our politics, in our anything more than our relationship with each other and with God, that's when we have enmity among one another. The things of the world will pass away. They're just, a, just dust, you know, in the wind. Anything that's done in Christ is eternal, and that is where our focus needs to be, and we need to identify with him. Amen. Ways we can get caught up in the world system. When I seek the approval of my professional peers more than my spiritual relationship with God, when I let my political allegiances affect how I view scripture and other Christians, when I'm willing to justify and forgive something in a person I, I agree with on secular matters, but hold others who have a different view to a harsher standard. No matter how I, just I justify myself or rationalize that I'm fighting for a greater good, such behavior rejects God. We can't afford to do this. So James says his readers are guilty of be behaving from fundamentally wrong motives. He says they seek both to fulfill their evil desires and to have friendship with the world. Thereby, they're rejecting their spiritual yearning for God, just pushes it right out of the picture. Instead, it's in our humility that we can draw near to God. Next. <clears throat> How can we draw nigh to God? Submit to God. Realize you need his forgiveness and be willing to follow him. It's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Resist the devil. Don't allow him to entice and tempt you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Lead a pure life. Let there be tears and sorrow and sincere grief for your sins. Don't be afraid <clears throat> to express deep, heartfelt sorrow for them. It's even good to ask him, you know, search me. Sometimes we don't know that we have sin in us. Sometimes it slips by. Sometimes we're just not even aware. So if we ask him, and that's not easy, but he shows it to us, then we have to truly be sorry about it. You can't just like, okay, God, sorry, and then move on. No, you have to spend some time and let him know that he, you really are serious. Humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Next. <clears throat> Submission and humility. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Notice here, James introduces himself as a servant. He could have said, I'm Jesus' brother. I was the pastor at Jerusalem Church. I worked hand-in-hand hand with uh, Peter. You know, I'm pretty, pretty high up there. But he didn't. I'm a servant. That's all you hear about him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, flee from you. So... 
When he comes around, when there's temptation, just straight arm him. Look, that's it. Don't come around me. I do not want to have anything to do with you. I'm a child of God. And turn your head. Just, he'll go, and he'll go away. Don't talk to him. Don't engage him in any way. Just reject him. And he'll run. He's got to go. There's no other choice. And it's, it's a promise. Right there, it's a promise. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Next, please. Nope. It's uh, su submission. It's okay. We'll just we'll just go with that one. That's fine. That's okay. fine. Honest. Okay. 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 Pride and humility. If the history of humanity tells us anything, it's this. Pride is destructive to relationships. Pride is the exaltation of self. Pride is self-serving, self-seeking, self-centered, self-obsessed, self-absorbed. Pride says, me, me, me. Pride demands, I want attention and praise. I want to be right. I want my way. I want others to get out of my way. I want whatever I want, whenever I want it. So we have two choices here. We can be arrogant. People like that cannot be led by God because they're on their own agenda. And he, he's not going to strong arm anybody. And that path will lead to the second death. The other side, the humility, that's a teachable spirit, someone who's willing to listen to God and want to know what he, wa he wants us to do. And the result of that is the crown of life. Just wonderful that we have that choice. Yes. So um, I'm going to share a little story about me. Um, and I'm not bragging on anybody but God in it. Um, <clears throat> quite a long time ago, uh, probably 25 years ago, um, so I was new in the church, maybe just a couple of years, I was working in a chiropractor's office, and um, it was a husband and wife were the chiropractors, and I was the only other person in the office. And Dr. Chili, who was the husband, he was very easygoing, very polite, very easy to work for, his wife, Dr. Carol, was a terror. She was very, um, she was from Long Island. So anybody that knows about New York City and that, so it was like that. And pretty soon after starting to work there, I was like, boy, this is pretty stressful. So I got a prayer cloth and I brought it to church and asked my pastor and a bunch of us prayed over it. And I cut it up into pieces. One I always had in my wallet. I think for a while I might have had one on my person too. But I had a big long desk in the front where the computer and the phone and all that were. And I taped the prayer cloth like in four places along my desk. So that when something was going on, just hold the wind, God, <laughs> I need your help on this. And so, we had one day a week that we didn't see patients. We did billing and we did follow up on uh, claims and whatnot. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I was up at the desk 
And Dr. Carroll, she was also short. So when I was sitting in the chair, she was only maybe like this tall, standing next to me. And so we were having a conversation about something. And then I asked her for a couple of days off. And she started giving me a hard time about it. And so I said, well, you know, I had done, we had changed our system over. And I had put in many, many extra hours. Stayed late at night to enter things, to, you know, put the money in and all of that. <clears throat> and uh, she just blew up. You never said anything about that. And she just, it was terrible. And she was like right there in my face, yelling at me. She was trying to make me fight with her. And I had, I had my hand on that prayer cloth. And I was just like... He, God helped me, I replied, every word was calm, was peaceful, um, didn't, didn't, I didn't let her like get under my skin, God didn't let, let me get it, let it get under my skin. And finally, I just said, well, Dr. Carroll, you know, you're going to make a decision and, and that'll just be the way it is. And she got so angry, she slammed into the back room, slammed the door. And I held my hands out in front of me, and I was like this. Oh. <laughs> and so I put my head down on the desk, and I said, God, I said, I know these feelings do not come from you. I need your help. And almost immediately, I could feel warmth on the top of my head that, you know how they talk about they pour the oil over to anoint someone? All, I could feel it all the way going, all the way down, all the way, all the way, all the way. And I was completely peaceful. Um, if I had operated under my flesh, I probably would have been arrested for assault, <laughs> lost my job, and worse than that even, would have been a terrible witness for Jesus. He's just awesome. If we give ourselves over, it doesn't matter what's going on. So that's, that's something that sticks with me in my, my, my heart. 1 Peter 5 and 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. Humbling ourselves means recognizing that our worth comes from God alone. Amen. It's leaning on his power, on his guidance, not our own independent effort. Though we don't deserve his favor, he reaches out in love to us, gives us worth and dignity despite our human shortcomings. We must go to God in humility, heartbreakingly asking for his forgiveness of our sins Understanding that he knows so much better what we need than we do. When we are sincere in our hearts, he cannot resist us. He embraces those who give themselves over to him, especially when they're devoid of pride and humility. If, I mean, devoid of pride and full of hum humility, sorry. Goodness. And now... I bring you Sister Jill, who will present the rest of the lesson. That was beautiful. Thank I enjoyed you. that so much. Very edifying. Close this one out. 
Oh, now do you want me to do that for you? Can you do it? Okay. So my part tonight is just to finish off the book of James, and it's kind of sad to me that we're finishing it up. I, I can't get out of it. I've been in it for over a year. I absolutely love it. Seems like super simple lessons, but it has just really been a character builder for me. It has stretched me, you know, to a higher level of godliness and purity, and and you know, just shooting to hit right in the middle of that target. So. I want to be washed in the book of James. I want to be washed in all of it. So tonight, for the rest of it, we're going to talk um, a lot about the rich and our money, because that's what he spends some time on. We're going to talk a little bit about heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, and then just very short on prayer. It would be long on prayer if we had time, but we don't have time. So in James 5, 1 through 11... James begins the conclusion of the book with a call to repentance. He's warned them. He's told them, you're going out into the world. You're going to be facing all of these things. And then he starts exposing some of their sin and the sin that's among them. And he's already done it, but he, he's fixing to get extremely strong. He goes on to describe the kind of repentance that the kind of change repentance should bring to our lives. It's not just saying we're sorry, is it? Right. It's no. changing the way we yes. think, the way we act, our attitudes. Two notable things that I want to point out tonight are what he says about changes in our speech and how we handle our wealth. And we've already talked a lot about speech. So what we believe is reflected in the way we live our lives. So if you want to know what you believe, how are you living? How are you living? How are you speaking? How are you acting? How are you acting when you're angry? What do you really value? Just look at the way you're living. James gives his readers three pieces of evidence that some of them are trusting in their wealth. He starts in uh, verse 5-1 of James, and I'm reading in the Amplified. Come quickly now, you rich, who lack true faith, and hoard and misuse your resources. Weep and howl. Have you ever heard anybody howling in prayer? It's very scary. Mm -hmm. I've heard it. <laughs> Weep and howl over your miseries, the woes, the judgments that are coming upon you. So number one, they're hoarding. When you think of hoarding, what, what comes to your mind? Have you ever seen a hoarder show? It all becomes trash, doesn't it? Yeah. They're, th they're getting dumpsters and they're just throwing it away. It's of no good. Worms have got in there. Rats have got in there. Mice have got in there. It's horrible. So hoarding, look at verse 2, 5-2. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined, and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in the last days when it will do you no good. Can't buy your way out, can you? Right. Only one way to heaven. Amen. It's God's way. So they're hoarding. They're misusing their wealth. Number two, they're not treating their employees fairly. Is justice important to God? 
Absolutely. You better believe, Justice Sanders, that that scale is very important to God. If I'm going to err, I want to I want to be the one that's taken. <laughs> and I mean that because I'm scared of God. I'm scared to do somebody <laughs> unjustly. <coughs> so uh, they're not treating their employees fairly. Look at verse 5-4. Look, the wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields. So somebody cut, just think of it, bring it home. Somebody cut your grass. You just want a good deal. You just want it. You want to get the best deal you can get on it. Okay. Look, the wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields, they're crying out against you for vengeance. That's like Abel's blood. Yeah. Crying out for vengeance. And the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. It's coming into my ears, and it's crying out for vengeance. Doesn't that put the fear of God in you? Mm. It does me. So they're hoarding. They're not treating their employees fairly. And then 5-5, five, five, we find out it gets worse. They're self-indulgent murderers. Self-indulgent murderers. Five. And this can easily be us. I mean, I'm telling you, this word, will, if we have the wrong attitude towards somebody and we let an attitude of dislike to a point of almost hatred, God calls that murder. Right. That's what he calls that. So self-indulgent murders, five-five. On the earth you have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourselves to soft living and led a life of wanton pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man that's sitting in the judgment seat on somebody and just judging them. You have condemned them. Oh, they're wrong. They're this. They shouldn't be doing this. This shouldn't. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man. He offers you no resistance. So the Apostolic Bible says this warning would have startled the first readers of this letter. They would have been shocked. Who were conditioned to view material riches as evidence of God's favorable blessing. They thought if you were rich, hey, you've got the favor of God. And we can think that too, can't we? Absolutely. It is not that riches are in themselves evil, but the wealthy are often guilty of oppressing the poor. They have the power to do it. They have the means to do it. That's how they got rich, a lot of them. So God is using James to pull back the curtain and reveal their sins. Has God ever done this to you? Has he ever turned his glory light on? It's a different light from this. And you were shocked at what he was correcting you over? He's done that to me. I know he's done that to my husband. Has God ever done? Have you ever been granted deep repentance in prayer? Just weeping, just, just, just deep repentance. We want that. We want those places of deep repentance. Has he ever revealed your sin when you had no knowledge of it in the natural room? In fact, you may have thought you were being done wrong. And he will just show you. Let me show you my perspective. We have to ask for this. We have to seek righteousness. We have to seek it. God's light reveals our sin, and his word is light. They were probably not aware that they were self-indulgent murderers until James started writing this. But God was speaking the truth to them with his word, and he was calling them to repent. And he's speaking it to us through the book of James. 
James has been speaking the truth to me for over a year now. I have not been able to get away from it. I've studied other things, but I'm still in the book of James. And as I've studied it and prayed over it and taught it, I hear the Holy Ghost leading me into much deeper repentance. No more murmuring and complaining in trials. It's not acceptable. No more respecter of persons causing prejudice or causing prejudice or traditions, fragmenting the body of Christ. And I was raised to not be prejudiced. I really was. But we there's all kinds of prejudices. Sure. You can you can have your little likes and dis mm -hmm. dislikes. So you know I was I was raised from a racial standpoint, to not be prejudiced the way that I was raised in the school that I was raised in. So no more praying for the hurting and homeless without helping them with their finances or providing what they are in need of. James calls us on the carpet mm -hmm. in this book. Mm -hmm. Just start praying it and see how much deeper you'll go in it. No more hurrying past people to meet my schedule but taking time to truly, deeply love and communicate to them and seek the leading of the Holy Ghost. We can be so self-centered with our little problems that we totally miss everything. I want to tell you, Sunday was crazy for me. It was absolutely a crazy day. I had red panda eyes where my eyes had had a reaction. I had shingles on my legs. <laughs> I had difficulty sleeping that night because of the shingles and everything. And it was just like the Holy Ghost was saying, push through this, push through this. And I kept trying. And I mean, God's not a mean taskmaster, you know. But I was still, I was trying to put one foot in front of another. Before the book of James, I probably wouldn't have done what I did to get here. I got here. I did hostessing. I brought food. But the the... The big deal was I prayed for a couple of people at the altar, and the Lord uses me in that. And I was walking to leave, and I was like, God, whatever your will is, whatever your will is, whatever you're doing, and I ran smack into the most beautiful presence of the Holy Ghost and was able to minister to somebody. No undeniable, strong, strong presence of God. We've got to push through. It's not about, if it had been all about me and my yeah. problems, I would have missed it. I would have missed seeing my babies with their little black. <laughs> and, you know, I would have missed so much, but I would have really missed that. Yes. That was heavenly. That was heaven coming down to the earth. Yeah. It, was, it was wonderful, so I'm, off. I'm sorry. Okay, so no more hurrying past people to meet my schedule, but taking time to truly, deeply love and communicate. I hope you allow this wonderful book to sanctify you. Lord, grant us repentance. Pull back the curtain and let us see our sins that we might truly confess and forsake them. Wash us in your truth. So how are we to view riches? How are we to look at them? All wealth belongs to God. Any wealth, any power, strength we have originated with God. It started with him. Any gift or talent we have, the same is true. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that. James 1.17, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I imagine that you're very talented, Erica, at teaching. I imagine it's a gift that God has given you. 
So he gets all the glory, doesn't he? We can't take pride in it. We can't judge others on it. They're not as good as me, can we? It's from him. And he says, why are you boasting? I gave it to you when he talks about those different things. And I've never heard you boast on teaching. So I'm just using you for example. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul discusses spiritual gifts and notes they all come from God. They all come through the Holy Spirit. Additionally, in Deuteronomy 8.18 and 2 Corinthians 9, we discover that everything we have and everything else that exists is all because of God. I'm going to read you some scripture, and I want you to really hang on to the words. Deuteronomy 8.18. But you, now this is the Amplified, but you shall remember with profound respect the Lord your God, for he it is who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant which he swore he solemnly promised to your fathers as it is to the state. Who gave you power to become a nurse? God. God. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. Now he who provides seed for, seed for the sower, that's the farmer, and bread, that's 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11 if you're taking notes. Now he who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing. Who provided the seed? God. Who provided the bread? God. Who will multiply it? God. And increase the harvest of your righteousness, which shows itself in active goodness, kindness, and love. You will be enriched in every way so that, hang on, so that you will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous. And this generosity administered through us is producing thanksgiving to God from those who benefit. So he's saying, Paul's saying, what I'm ministering to you generously is blessing you. You're going to be enriched to be generous to others. And then we cannot forget precious, precious, precious David. Who loves David? I love him. 1 Chronicles 29, 12 through 16. Both riches and honor come from you. Say riches and honor. Riches and honor. And you rule over all. In your hand is power and might. I cannot help but shout when they start singing about the might of God. Because he's all powerful. I love it. I can't help but shout when we're in our church. And it is in your hands to make great and to give strength to everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. And then listen, listen to humility. Listen to David's humility. David, who delighted in gathering the things to build the temple. David, who delighted in his giving millions of dollars in goodwill offerings and going to other lands to acquire things to build the temple. Listen how he looks at his life. Listen at his perspective. He doesn't say, I've traveled to distant lands. I've given this. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Who am I to get to do all this? For all things come from you and from your own hand. We have given to you 
So everything we're giving to you, he's saying, it's come from your hand. And who are we to get to give so generously to you? It's like your daddy ever hand you money to put in the offering. You know? Bruce does that. He loves to give little kids money to put in the offering. Oh, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and it is all your own. That's how we look at riches. That's how we look at our talents. That's how we look at our gifts. Anything we're good at, it came from him. Who were we to boast and brag? And he says, don't boast. That's one of the things in speech, having that humility. And we are to be good stewards. The way wealth is gained, the way it is used, and the way it's valued all reveal whether we are counting on the things of God to fill our hand or the things of this world. Remember that we don't want to be double-minded. James alone uses that word. It's an allegiance. It's a divided allegiance. You want the world and you want the kingdom of God. You cannot have both. You absolutely cannot. So if God's going to rule and reign in us, that's the kingdom of God, we've got to let go of the world and its training. Remember that we don't want to be double-minded. That is having a mind for the things of the world and the way they do it and a mind for God. We desire the mind of Christ, which involves loving and serving others. So James warns us of the folly of trusting in riches. A good steward asks, what does God God want me to do with the resources he has given me? That's taking it to prayer like you were talking about. You know, we may want a new home. We may want a new car. God may say, absolutely, let me give you a better one than you even desire. Or he may say, no, I don't want you to do that right now. We've got to trust him. And if you are an employer, consider this. If we withhold wages from our laborers, if we try to get the best of the deal, it reveals something about where we're placing our trust. Do we really want to get money that way? If you truly embraced what the gospel says is true about loving your neighbor, fraud is not the kind of behavior. It won't be what you will exhibit. You don't want anything to do with it. That's of a different kingdom. Matthew 6:26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into the barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Remember Gehazi running after the garments, running after the silver, the leprosy coming on him and his whole family. Cursed his whole family because of what he went after. So James is speaking to those who claim to have faith, but their lives tell a different story. Whether they value their character. Remember what we learned concerning the crown of life from chapter 1. It will be given to those that love, love him. So all of this is being told to us in the context of a call to repentance. All of this. Do you consider yourself rich? 
James 5, 1 through 6 is addressed to you rich people. Maybe you read that and are thinking, obviously that does not apply to me. But if you make $18,000 a year, you're wealthier than 95% of the people in the world. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. And remember the rich man, Lazarus. You know the story? James is not condemning wealth per se. Rather, just as in other biblical texts about riches, James calls to account those who have financial means and hoard their wealth. They have the means to help, but they don't do it. In Luke, I hope y'all study this, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, he wears the best of clothes. He lives a life of total luxury. The beggar that lays at his gate, he is covered with sores. He longs to eat what falls from the rich man's table, but the rich man does not share a crumb. Not one crumb. He shows no mercy. What does James say about mercy? Blessed are the merciful, merciful for they shall obtain, obtain mercy. mercy, having compassion. Both the rich man and the poor man die. Jesus is telling this story. They both die. The beggar dies and is carried by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man dies and he goes to hell. While in hell, the rich man can see Abraham and Lazarus. The rich man has two requests of Father Abraham. He requests relief for his body. He wants one drop of water on his tongue. He did not give the poor man one crumb. He asked for one drop of water. He asked Abraham if Lazarus can come over and help ease his agonies in the fires of hell. This request is denied because a great chasm separates them. No crossing over. We're in eternity. The rich man also is concerned about his family. He begs Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his five evil brothers about this terrible place. How it all ends. That arrogance and luxury and that going that way. Go warn them. Abraham refuses, stating, Moses and the prophets have warned them. It's in the Bible. It's very clear. And if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. We can be so hard-hearted toward this yes. because of the way that we are taught to enjoy luxury and walk past the poor and look down on the poor and think, oh, they shouldn't have done drugs or they should have got an education or, or they whatever and judge them. Oh, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to us. We won't obtain mercy in eternity if we don't show mercy in time. We won't. Amen. This life on earth is a trial of our faith, which is more precious than what? Gold. And he tells the rich, everything you have in verse 1 is going to fade away. And he tells the poor that believe in him, you are rich in faith and you are heirs to the kingdom. You're going to inherit it all because I inherited it all. And I'm what? Sharing it with you.
That's how we inherit. Yeah. That's what we get in eternity. Eternal life and all power. Everything's been given to him. And he's willing to share it with us. We must be hearers and doers of the word, walking in our Lord's commandments to love him with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. What did he say? When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. I was sick. You visited me. What did we learn that pure religion and undefiled before God? To visit the widows and fatherless and their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Remember what Jesus taught us, the one who hears and does the word is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. If we lack this wisdom, James 1 tells us that all we have to do is ask for it in faith. Let's take a deeper look at wisdom, and then we'll just stop there. We're not going to have time to get in prayer, but I do want to say this. James begins with prayer and ends with prayer. <laughs> and the prayer of a right, righteous man avails much. Amen. <clears throat> but all we have time for is the wisdom. So let's talk about that for a minute. Earthly wisdom, what people respect, the wisdom people respect in this earth, in this world system, it's of the earth. Every good thing comes from heaven. He's told us that. He's established that in one. It is earthly. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is worldly. It is wisdom that is according to the world's standards. Right. But this wisdom is foolishness to God. It's also sensual. That means it's from our fallen man we desire it. It appeals to the senses, the emotions, and the passion. It's wisdom according to what feels right, but that doesn't make it right. You ever hear people say, oh, it just felt right. I'm just following my heart. All of that. No. No. So it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's also demonic. The kind of wisdom possessed by the devil and his angels. A wisdom that often finds its origin in the influences of Satan. It is full of bitter envy. Satan is so envious and he will inspire us to be too if we let him. We don't strong arm him and turn our heads and know this word. We can get caught up in it. Possessing self-seeking in the heart. This wisdom extols as virtues such qualities as power, position, privilege, prestige. And we can bring this in the church if we're not yes. mature Christians. We can absolutely do it to make our name for self instead of being an humble servant serving God in the fear of God. It was this kind of wisdom that prompted Satan and his angels to rebel against God. Wanted it to be all about them. And it also prompted the disciples to argue over who would be greatest in the kingdom. God straightened them out. But wisdom from above... This is what I keep praying for. This is what I want right here. I've set my eyes on this. Wisdom that from above is pure. There's no mixture. It is absolutely holy. It wants nothing but what God's got. It's pure. And I've used this before. If you had a glass of beautiful, fresh-squeezed orange juice right here, and you put one-fourth of a teaspoon 
of sewage water in it. Would you want it? No. God wants us pure. He said, be holy, for I am holy. And in the book of James, he's calling us to maturity. He's calling us to wholeness, our attitudes and trials. And he's calling us to holiness. Be pure. Then be peaceable. Be a peacemaker. Gentle. Easy to be entreated. Can somebody, can I ask you, why are you doing that that way, Sister Ellen? I can't ask you that. Are you too pride and puffed up? Nobody's going to question you and your ways the right way. It's having a gentle, meek spirit. It's full of mercy, full of compassion, good fruit, without partiality. Doesn't matter what status in this world they've got. Doesn't matter how pretty, how ugly, what color, what culture. He tells us God is not a respecter of persons in chapter 2 and demands that we not be either. That's, that's purity, getting all that out. doesn't matter if you were raised in the church or just coming into the church, say no partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And James was known to be a peacemaker. And he had to do lots of peacemaking because they were going from Judaism to Christianity. In Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, they're all up and James is the peacemaker. He was known as Camel Knees because he stayed, that history tells us, he stayed on his knees so much, seeking wisdom from God, seeking, taking all that responsibility to run that church in Jerusalem and as it went out. Don't you love the book of James? Yes. I love it. I want it to wash me. I can't get out of it. God's not through with what he's doing in me and in, in cleaning me up in the book of James. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Will you close us in prayer? Sure. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, for all of these words, these lessons. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just help each one of us in our own ways, God, the places that we need help, Lord, that we would, we would ask you for that help, and God, that you would work in us, Lord, to perfect us, to strengthen us, Lord, to be make us the vessels that you want us to be, Lord, that we may be an effective instrument of your will for the kingdom work. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.